You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We get to dig into some hymnody today, which is one of my favorite things. This is going to be super great, uh, especially as we prepare for Holy Week next week. We get to dig into some really great Lenten hymnody, which we will get to in just a minute. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. So it's time for hymns, and we have one of our favorite hymnity experts joining us today, Benjamin Kologi, member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, a highly active church organist and composer, and a contributor to one of my favorite books, the Lutheran service book, Hymnal Companion. Thanks for joining us today, Benjamin. Thanks for having me, Sarah and Andy. So we are nearing the end of the season of Lent. We are almost at Holy Week and looking forward to Easter. So it's time for us to dig into some of our great Lenten hymnody. And you picked these specifically for Holy Week, which is really great for us to to, uh, start to meditate on what these texts are. So uh, let's dig into the first one, Lutheran Service Book 444, No Tramp of Soldiers Marching Feet. What should we know about the background of this hymn? Sure. I chose this hymn because it's maybe not the quintessential Palm Sunday hymn. We normally think of all glory, what and honor, I suppose. Uh, And Lutheran Service Book is the first LCMS hymnal to carry this text. And I really like how this pairs with the more traditional Palm Sunday hymns like All Glory, One Honor. But before we get into that, I kind of wanted to share a personal story, if I could, about uh, the author of this hymn text. And if you see in your hymnal, the author is Timothy Dudley Smith. He's actually a living hymn writer. We don't encounter those all the time, do we? But he has 16 hymn texts in LSB. Um, uh, These are include um, No Temple Now, No Gift of Price, Faith and Truth and Life Bestowing, one of my favorites, Be Strong in the Lord, uh, how how shall they hear that have not heard um, that uh, Magnificat setting, tell out my soul? And one of my favorites, Christ Be My Leader. And Christ Be My Leader was in Lutheran worship, the previous hymnal. And I remember fondly singing and playing it at Vacation Bible School over at Faith Lutheran in Plano, Texas, when I was younger. And of course, Christ Be My Leader is set to that really winsome Irish tune called Slain. And this hymn really made an impression on me, and I was—I became rather partial to Timothy Dudley Smith's hymn text, even though I didn't know much about him. And so I was really glad when so many of them were included in Lutheran Service Book when it came out in 2006. But anyways, back to Timothy Dudley Smith. He was actually born in 1929. He's written over 400 hymns. Uh, he lives in the UK. And in his non-hymn writing career, he was the Bishop of Norwich, but he's now retired to outside of Salisbury. But I had written a bit a few years back for the Canterbury Dictionary of Hymnology, and I went to England one October for the launch conference for the Dictionary of Hymnology. You really haven't been to a to a party until you go to see a whole bunch of hymnologists do a launch conference. But there's probably about 150 people there, including Americans like myself and uh, Joseph Hurl, who's editor of uh, the service book, Hymnal Companion. And 
I, one day I was having lunch and I sat down at a table by myself and in comes Bishop Dudley Smith who introduces himself and he sits down and we have lunch together and had a lovely conversation. And of course I had my LSB with me. So I asked him to autograph him 861, which he was pleased to do. And later, in fact, I had written a blog post or something about, about it. And uh, he was so gracious enough as to track down my address and he sent me a, a letter and some material uh, with a personal note. So these are the things that really thrill church organists and musicians for some reason. But that's that takes us into this hymn text, 444. No tramp of soldiers marching feet with banners and with drums. No sound of music's martial beat. The king of glory comes to greet what pomp of kingly pride. No bells in triumph ring. No city gates swing open wide. Behold, behold your king. Now, Bishop Dudley Smith has kind of set this in a very different way. We're kind of singing what Palm Sunday is not. He has this no preceding so many of, of these expressions. No tramp, no sound, no music, no city gates. And I, I think back to um, contrasting this with a joyful festivity found in the more famous Palm Sunday hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. And, and you know, in, in that hymn, we rejoice and sing, All Glory, Laud, and Honor to thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. You are the King of Israel and David's royal son, now in the Lord's name coming, our King and Blessed One. But Bishop Dudley Smith's hymn text is really kind of a bit darker than that. And I think he leads us into Holy Week pretty well. Each of his stanzas concludes, Behold, behold your king. And this, of course, references Psalm 24, 9, but it also portends Pilate's words to the crowd, I think. You know, behold your king. And stanza two, and yet he comes, the children cheer with palms, his path is strewn. With every step, the cross draws near, the king of glory's throne. Astride a colt, he passes by, as loud hosannas ring, or else the very stones would cry, behold, behold your king. And there's that refrain again, behold your king. So this is, this hymn is in the Palm Sunday section. That's when it's most appropriate to sing it. And this stanza clues us into this. It, you know, it indeed references the children who cheer and they strew palms his way, just as we sing in All Glory, Lot and Honor. But I find with this hymn that Timothy Dudley Smith doesn't want us to sing naively or maybe in a cutesy way, which is really too easy to do when you're singing to or about children. Um, and he reminds us in this verse that with you know, he reminds us that with every step, the cross draws near. And then he deploys quite a bit of irony. He calls the cross the king of glory's throne. And he references this idea of Christ being worthy of our worship so that even the stone should cry out to worship him. And really, according to Luke 19, there had been Pharisees in the crowd that Palm Sunday, and they had told Jesus, of course, to rebuke his disciples for their noise and praise, I guess. And it was, of course, his response that if they should be silent, the stones will cry out. And we sometimes don't consider that appended, that, that verse appended to the, to the end of the Palm Sunday uh, reading. The third stanza continues here. What fading, fading flowers his robe adorn, the palms how soon laid down, no bloom or leaf but only thorn, the king of glory's crown. 
The soldiers mock, the rabble cries, the streets with tumult ring, as Pilate to the mob replies, behold, behold your king. And I, again, I think he's deploying irony here because normally we sing about flowers in a very pleasant way. Um, I think maybe we'll have a rose of or blooming or something like that. But here we're singing about what flating, fading flowers. Uh, I think maybe of um, uh, Psalm 90. Uh, you carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. And I kind of think perhaps he's referring to the empty praises of the Palm Sunday crowd here. And because, again, the Christ will soon um, be turned, turned upon by them. And finally, Bishop Dudley Smith concludes, Now he who bore for mortal's sake the cross and all its pains, and chose a servant's form to take, the king of glory reigns, Hosanna to the Savior's name, till heaven's rafters ring, and all the ransomed hosts proclaim, Behold, behold, your king. And I think here that uh, Bishop Smith takes us to the foot of the cross and really beyond. Um, all glory, Lord, and honor kind of leaves us praising Christ the King, which is great. Uh, that hymn says, as, receive, as you receive their praises, accept the prayers we bring, O source of every blessing, our good and gracious King. But I think here Dudley Smith moves us away from Palm Sunday with some eschatological themes here. That is, eschatology just means end times. But he foreshadows Easter when the King of Glory reigns, who, at which point he's ransomed us. And the, the response then is to sing, Behold your King. Um, and I just think to conclude, uh, we have to talk about this hymn, the hymn tune very briefly. It's an English tune. It's a folk song that was collected by Ray Vaughan Williams, who was very much into collecting these beautiful English tunes. The tune has a minor cast to it. You'll see in the hymnal it's called Kingsfold. It's not actually minor. In musical terms, we call it modal, which is just kind of a fancy expression for an arrangement of, the of a scale that's neither major nor minor. Um, but this lends the tune a rather haunting feel that I think really accentuate the nuances of Bishop Dudley Smith's text. Um, we don't get to sing in that sprightly C major, all glory, laud, and honor, uh, like it allows us to do. But I think that Bishop Dudley Smith takes us to the foot of the cross, um, not only in this text, but I think the tune elucidates that pretty well as well. So it sounds like a, a great teaching text, a text that you really embrace, uh, paired with a, a, a wonderful tune as well, is what I'm hearing, is, are the two of the key things that you like about this piece. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Or well, Anything else uh, about, uh, about 444, No Tramp of Soldiers Marching Feet, before we go on to the next hymns? No, I'm, I, I just want to say I'm glad it's in this hymnal, and I'm glad it's being used. It, it is a good um, companion to our more traditional Palm Sunday hymns. Before we dig into the next hymn, uh, which is LSB or Lutheran's book 425, 426, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, um, can you give us just like the elevator speech, like the 30 seconds of, of what we're going to look at in, in this hymn? 
We're going to look at Isaac Watts, who was the hymn text writer. He was known as the father of English hymnody, not, of course, German hymnody. They'd been writing hymns for a long time when Watts came around in the 18th, in the 18th century. But he gives the English church um, a way to sing their praises in their own language. And ironically, he, he was dissenter. He wasn't even Anglican. But this is one of his best-known hymns, along with O God, Our Help in Ages Past and perhaps Joy to the World. Hmm. We're going to take a look at When I Survey the Wondrous Cross in just a moment. We're talking with Ben Kologi, he's a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, an outstanding and highly active organist and composer, contributor to the Lutheran service book Hymnal Companion, uh, more Lenten hymns, hymns of Holy Week as well here on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking with Ben Kologi about our, or his favorite, uh, Holy Week hymns, or maybe just a couple of his favorites. Uh, ben, we, we talked with, about uh, Lutheran, Lutheran Service Book 444, No Tramp of Soldiers Marching Feet. Now we're digging into Lutheran Service Book 425, 426, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. What should we know about this hymn? Right. This was written by Isaac Watts, the father of English hymnody. And he published this in 1707, but it was originally a communion hymn. It had nothing to do with Lent, but I think it, it makes good sense to use in Lent. Um, Listen to these first few verses. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And I think here of this is such a scriptural to scriptural uh, stanzas. Galatians six fourteen. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And then also, of course, uh, 1 Corinthians 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I think these two uh, verses undergird what Watts was trying to convey here. And I, this, this hymn is interesting. It kind of conveys what Watts likes to do, this word survey. I don't know about you, but, you know, this implies that you're a small person looking out on something greater than yourself. Maybe to, to, to make an absurd analogy, you know, I, I went out this morning and I looked at my lawn and it needs mowing now, and I'm surveying everything that's out there. There's something that's greater than I am. I'm I'm taking it into myself. And I think that's how Watts is is dealing with here. He's starting with the lesser, our, the individual. 
and he's taking us to the greater that 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 spiritual landscape of Christ on the cross and what this means to us and you know this is it's in a way it's kind of the opposite of turning inward which is so easy for hymns to do to focus on our hearts our wants our desires which isn't necessarily bad but i think it's important to note when it's not happening and here he's turning us to the cross and away from ourselves and verse 3 continues see from his head his hand his feet sorrow and love flow mingled down did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown and i collect antiquarian hymnals and devotional books and one of i have one that has a very evocative picture it's actually like an imprint of christ's head with a crown of thorns on it and Every time I sing this verse, I think of that. And I also think that he's perhaps painting a verbal crucifix. His head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. That's kind of what we see visually when we behold a crucifix. But here we're singing about it. And Watts, of course, was not Catholic and he wasn't even Anglican. So he wouldn't have have even considered using an actual crucifix. But here he presents it, I think, um, in words. And then the, the final stanza, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a tribute far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And I think Watts here, this, this whole realm of nature, this represents the magnitude of God to him. You know, we can't give to God what's already his, this nature, but we're confronted, we confront our diminutive status within the universe. Again, he kind of ends where he began. When I survey, we are the smaller entities that are surveying what is so great, greater than us. Um, it's interesting. The, the Wesleys, the John and Charles, and their hymns, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, they, it's very, a very a personal expression. Here, Watts takes us out of ourselves and focuses us on the cross. And, of course, as a metaphor for what Christ has done for us, not to focus simply on the cross for its own sake. Anything Let's... else to dig into, or shall we move on to our last hymn? Let's move on. All right. Our last one today is Lutheran Service Book 439. Oh, dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? And this is one of my favorite Holy Week hymns too. So I'm glad we're digging into this. What should we know about this one? Right. You can see in your hymnal, the hymnal always gives you clues to these hymns, right? So you see in the, the text, it was written by Johann Hermann, and you see he's pretty early. Uh, he was born in 1585, and as tended to happen with babies at the time, he was he became really sick, and his his mother prayed to God that he would he would live. And if that were to happen, she would send him to become a pastor, which, of course, he eventually did. Unfortunately, his life happened during the midst of the Thirty Years' War, which happened 1618, 1648, and it was just a terrible time for Germany. For Hermann himself, um, he, his town experienced a plague in 1613, a fire in 1616, and was plundered by the Swedish army a couple times. So he, he really had a... a a stressful life. It was not easy for him. But he took this, he, he created this hymn from an original Latin, a Latin poem, 
some people have thought it was August, uh, St. Augustine, St. Augustine, but it was actually probably came later. And the hymn is inspired by Luke 23, 20 through 24. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. Now, we can't go through all these stanzas here but right now, but the, it is so scriptural. So that's one thing about good quality hymns. They are inspired by scripture. The first stanza, O dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken that such sharp sentence should on thee be spoken? Of what great crime hast thou to make confession? What dark transgression? And since we can't go through each each stanza, it might be good to note that the hymn divides itself into perhaps two sections. The first half, which perhaps ends around verse six or seven, ponders Christ on the cross. Uh, they crown thy head with thorns, they smite, they scourge thee. And I think a bit of um Isaiah 53 here, too, with cruel mockings to the cross they urge thee. And the subsequent stanzas in this first half, whence come these sorrows, whence this mortal anguish? It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. And so we spend this these first stanzas pondering Christ on the cross. But then he turns around verse 8 or so, O mighty king, no time can dim thy glory. How shall I spread abroad thy wondrous story? How shall I find some worthy gifts to proffer? What dare I offer? And uh, historically speaking, um, hymnody in the first person was fairly new at this point. Paul Gerhardt will have that later, but Luther didn't put hymns in the first person. He had from heaven above to earth icon, but that's quoting an angel. You know, this is actually our response to these first seven verses. And the next continues, oh, how should I do aught that could delight thee? Can I requite thee? And I kind of think of in the catechism, what does this mean? We're always confronted with that question, what does this mean? And I think the first half of this hymn gives us the question, you know, what do I do about it? What do I do about Christ on the cross? And the second half of the hymn answers the question, but since my strength will never more suffice me, in, in verse 8, to crucify desires that still entice me, to all good deeds, oh, let thy spirit win me and reign within me. In verse 12, I'll think upon thy mercy without ceasing, that earth's vain joys to me no more be pleasing. To do thy will shall be my sole endeavor, henceforth forever. So to do his will is the result of pondering these first stanzas. And I think it's interesting, just to conclude here, Stanza 15, and when, dear Lord, before thy throne in heaven, to me the crown of joy at last is given, where sweetest hymns thy saints for, forever raise thee, I too shall praise thee. He takes us to, to heaven at the end. It's really quite interesting. The, the point of the hymn is not, is not an improvement of earth or even ourselves so much. It takes us, it has an eschatological cast. It takes us to heaven, where, of course, thy saints forever raise thee. I too shall praise thee. I think that that is a good conclusion to this hymn. And also, 
portends Easter. When we're singing these hymns at Lent, it's oftentimes easy to get get distracted and perhaps the, the meditation. Um, but this leads us to heaven. It leads us to Easter morning. I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, the tune for this, uh, O oh, Dearest Jesus, What Law Hast Thou Broken? Tell us about the tune that carries all 15 of these stanzas. Yeah, sure. Uh, it comes from Johann Kruger, who worked with Paul Gerhardt, probably the best known hymn writer of this of this era, a little later than than um, Hermann was. But but Kruger wrote this a year after Hermann uh, died, and this tune has always been associated with this text. It was used in Bach's Saint Matthew's Passion, Saint John's Passion, I believe. Um, I find it quite evocative. It's a perfect expression, I think of this text. It's both meditative and pensive, but it also bears some 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 joy, I think, inherently. Anything else about this hymn that you'd like us to think about or meditate on as we enter into Holy Week next week? Well, I, I, I hate to use any more time, but I really did want to say something about Catherine Winkworth, yes. who's, the trans, who's the translator. Again, the, the LSB provides us so much information. And if you look down, you see Johann Hermann, but then you see TR, Catherine Winkworth. That means translated by. And if you, if you look in the back of LSB, there are 68 hymns that have been translated by her. She lived in the 19th century. She was English sort of Anglican, but she discovered these these great German chorales, and she could do nothing but translate them. She just loved them so much. And uh, it is through her that particularly the LCMS gets so many of its English language hymns. Uh, her hymns were published in the 1860s, 1850s and 60s. And if you remember, by the late 19th century, certainly by the early 20th century, the LCMS was turning in attempting to adapt into English, right, into its liturgy and hymnody. And, and what do you do? I mean, you can you can start off afresh, but you can also look for resources that already exist. And this is indeed what happened. Uh, the first English hymnal of the LCMS was published in 1912. But by the Lutheran hymnal 1941, there were um, about 73 hymn, hymns that had been translated from German by Catherine Winkworth. She did such a good job. She was, I've, I've analyzed these. She's faithful, generally, to the theology, but she's also poetic. And it's very rare to have a translator who can both be faithful to the original text, and in this case, convey the theology well, but also do so in a poetic way that is easy to sing and is memorable. And I think Catherine Winkworth deserves a lot more credit than we often give her when we sing these hymns. I'm a big fan of Catherine Winkworth. Uh, she's one of my Lutheran lady uh, heroes of the faith, for sure, for all of that work that she did to translate hymns into English. We are all out of time, Ben. It is so awesome to have you on uh, to talk about these hymns and to give us all of this wonderful in information to meditate on as we enter into Holy Week. Ben Kologi, member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. Uh, highly active organist and composer and contributor to the Lutheran Service Book Hymnal Companion. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Coffee Hour. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. Mm -hmm. 
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. 